this, but if you are interested in being one of our missions friends that would help us communicate to our missionaries, we'll give you one. We're not going to give you all of them. We'll give you one. We'll give you their address. We'll give you their phone number. There's a couple that we can't share with because the communication that we deal with has to be secret, has to be encrypted for their safety. So we want you to be a part of what's going on in our missions too. So if you want to be a missions friend, Marvin, stand up real quick. Please see, Mar where's Peggy? Where's the most beautiful part of you? Okay, okay. Well, you're missing the most beautiful part of Marvin, his wife. I absolutely love that woman, but please see them. Both of these are opportunities. Opportunities for, for you to grow in your service to Christ and to the community. And this is a very important part of your life as a believer. And as a segue into today's sermon, I want to ask you a question. When I say the word church growth, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Huh? Numbers. Why? Why? Why is it numbers are the first thing that always come to our mind when we think about church growth? Because that's one of the ways we measure. It's one of the easiest ways for us to measure. We can see how things are going. And honestly, it's been a big encouragement to see the growth that we've seen in the last year and continue to see over average. I think Misty told me two weeks ago that over average, we have seen about 15% growth over the last three years in all categories, which is huge. But I want to ask you a question. Can you go to church and not be a part of the church? Can you go to church and not be a part of the church? Oh, we see it on a weekly basis. We see it on a weekly basis, not just us, but many other churches. There are people who are just wanting to be here for the service. And guys, don't get me wrong. The service that we do, where we come together, we worship God in spirit and truth together, it is a very important part of what we do. But at the same time, it is just a small piece of what we should do. Because if your service to God is limited to one day a week, one day a week, two hours, out of that week, do you realize that your commitment to God is somewhere around the neighborhood of 0.3% committed? Wow. That's a little bit humbling to think that if we limit our service to God, if we limit our heart to God to those days, that 0.03% is the amount of our dedication to God. I am big into statistics. I love statistics. Statistics do help us tell a lot about the growth of a church. But what I found interesting when I looked at groups like Church Answers, Barna, and even Lifeway Research, when they looked at church growth, they really boiled it down to more than three things, but these were the three things that they had in common. The first thing that they had for church growth, to measure church growth, was discipleship. And what they were talking about, they were talking about a culture of fellowship, mutual fellowship with each other, not just one to two days a week, but throughout the week in an environment where you are helping 
others grow in Christ. What was amazing to me is the churches that were most successful at doing this were of attendance of 250 and below. The next one that they looked at was service. Not service like we're doing now. They're talking about actual service, um, volunteering. And this is a place where people are empowered to use the gifts that God has gave them. And the churches that were really successful at this were churches that were actually in attendance of less than 200 and below. One of the other ones that they used was Missional giving. Now, when they talk about missional giving, a lot of people just think about money. No, they're talking about time and money. So they're talking about people who are committed to seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go out in their local and foreign uh, environments and are willing to use their money and their time to do it. The churches that were most successful at doing this, what do you think the number of attendance was in them? 100 or less. This just shows us that some of the things that we think in our mind are completely skewed. When we think of church growth, we always go to the numbers of how big that church is. But when we look at the real health of the people and of the church and what the church is doing, you just can't base it off numbers. You've got to look at all these other metrics. And while it is true that attendance growth is one of the gauges that they use for healthy church, a numerical growing church must stay focused to the mission of Christ and not to the desires of the congregation. That's a lot to swallow. That is a heavy load to swallow. You know, when they were selecting a king, when they were trying to find a king, when Samuel was trying to find a king, he looked at all the sons of Jesse. And over all the sons of Jesse, he saw some beefy, buffy men, handsome men, good-looking men, men of leadership. But Samuel is told these words, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. True church growth comes from a process called sanctification. Sanctification is something that takes place in here. It happens in here, but it is seen out there. It is a process of where we are becoming more like Christ. Sanctification's definition is cleansing, washing, or set aside for a special uh, purpose. My definition, my definition this morning for sanctification is becoming more like Jesus and less like you. The definition that we are going to use is becoming more like Jesus and less like you. Sanctification starts when you truly profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it ends when you go home to be with him. So there is a start point, there is an end point, but there is also a purpose. And I want to show you this morning where I get this definition of sanctification. And we're still going to be in John chapter 3, but we've seen a little bit of a shift in John chapter 3. At first we've seen Jesus talking to Nicodemus, now we see another count. 
And listen what John chapter 3 says. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them, baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on part of John's disciples with the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, who, <clears throat> he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man cannot receive nothing unless it has been given, from, given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. For he who, is the bride, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices gratefully because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, asking you for discernment of your word. Father, not only do we ask for discernment of your word, but we ask for eyes to see. We ask for a heart to understand, but we ask for ears to hear directly from you as well, Lord. Because, Lord, we need to know what it is that you are trying to do in us. From the moment we become a true follower in Christ, there is this tension. And this tension lies deep within inside of us. And Lord, it is the tension of us trying to live in two different worlds. Father, this morning, I'm thankful for the salvation that you've given us. But I pray that you would speak directly to us to help us as we move forward in this process of sanctification. So that, Lord, we can be more like you and less like ourselves. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was reading this the other day, Aaron came in this morning, and when I was reading this the other day, something popped out to me that I had never seen before. But when John is discipling his disciples, which he's actually discipling them to follow Christ, they just don't understand that, there becomes this big tension between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. And if you really read it for what they're saying, listen to this. John's disciples are getting mad at these other disciples for going to church with Jesus. Think about that for a minute. They are getting upset because all of these people are going to Jesus to be baptized. It says that John was in Anon. Anna means spring, and this is very important. We'll get to this in a little bit. But it says it was near Salim, which means peaceful, baptizing, doing his thing, 
John was doing exactly what he was called to do. It was told a long time ago that John would be a forerunner to Christ, that he would be the voice in the wilderness, that he would be the one coming, preaching the repentance that would come about to them through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was always known that John was just a mouthpiece and there was someone else to come. But John was content doing exactly what he was told to do. Think about that for a minute. John seen no threat at all to what Jesus is doing. He knew that Jesus had come for a greater purpose than he. He knew that his cousin, his cousin was going to be the savior of the world. And later on in the scripture, he just talks about how he's just glad to be a part of it. You see, John was going through a process of sanctification too. Sanctification is the part where you are looking more like Christ and less like yourself. He even says that at the end. But one thing that we've got to see in this is that everyone's process of sanctification can and will look different. The word sanctification, set apart, means that you are set apart for a specific task. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? And I'm not just talking about here at church. I'm talking about why am I here on this earth? Anybody else ever ask themselves that? I mean, you ever get really deep and real with yourself to wonder why it is that you are here and you know, one of the crazy things is, is while we are all here to do one thing, to bring honor to glory or bring God honor and glory and to be used for the purpose that he has for us. But he can do that in many different ways. You know that? I mean, even this morning, we've already seen multi different ways. We've seen Nathan teaching Sunday school. We've seen Tommy leading the congregation. We've seen Christy over here with the piano. We see Joe, Nathan, Stephanie, and all of them back there in the background. And y'all never know that they're back there until something goes wrong. <laughs> but they're back there and they are serving their hearts out. Why? So they can keep things like this up there. And that doesn't say uh, you're unregistered, which reminds me, if you're not registered to vote, go register. The screen said it. But we got people like Misty and Roberto and all these other people who are back there behind the scenes that are videoing this right now so they can put it out there. Everybody is given gifts to use. And these gifts are specifically given to you for one purpose and one purpose only. And that's to bring honor and glory to God. So see, yes, all of our sanctification processes will look different. Not all of you are going to be pastors. I pray that some of you will. Not all of you are going to be Sunday school teachers. But I pray that some of you will. Not all of you are going to be deacons, elders, or any of these things. But I pray that some of you will. Not all of you are going to be kitchen Staff that helps provide a meal every, every Wednesday night. But I pray some of you will. Not every one of you are going to sing in the choir. 
I pray some of you will, but I pray that you get wisdom about whether you need to or not. You get what I'm saying? Regardless, all of us have a different road when it comes to sanctification. John's road was different. But does that mean it was any less? Absolutely not. John the Baptist played a very important role of ushering in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what gets me the most? He was content in doing it. The second thing that was brought to my mind was this. Was that John had to introduce his people to Jesus. They had been following John for some time, okay? They had been with him. And they're starting to wonder, okay, what is going on with this Jesus guy? And what's funny is if you really read ahead, they're not the only ones who are wondering what's going on with Jesus. In John chapter 4, this will not be on the screen, but I'm going to read it. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee. Everybody had their eyes on Jesus. Everybody knew something was going on with this guy and they wanted to know exactly what it is. But also in this, you've got to identify this too. Because while everybody was speculative of what Jesus was doing, everybody was following somebody. John had his followers. The Pharisees had their followers. And you know, what's funny to me is, Every single one of us have this desire inside of us to be unique. Do we not? Peggy, do you like being unique? No? Really? I love being unique. I love being different. I love being different from everybody else. But one of the funniest things is, is no matter how much I try to be different than some, uh, everybody else, when it comes down to it, I'm following somebody even if I don't realize it. The boys have gotten to this stage of life to where they're starting to have people that they're starting to follow. A couple, about two months ago, wasn't it? We started hearing about Golden State Warriors jerseys and Stephen Curry. We have never watched a basketball game in our life at our house. Never. We never watch any basketball. And it's not because we hate it. It's just not our sport. But they're all about getting a... Golden State Warriors jersey, Golden State Warriors t-shirt, and they've never seen Stephen Curry play at all. So I asked them, I said, boys, where did you hear about this? Because I thought it was something at school. Well, there's certain things that we allow them to watch on YouTube. We check what they watch quite often, listen to it, have even censored a lot of it. But one of the people that they watch all the time is a kid by the name of, who do you watch? Colin, Colin Amazing, Grammy knows it, Nanny knows it, Colin Amazing. So Colin Amazing is this kid who makes a lot of YouTube videos. The kid's got a lot of spare times because he's flipping bottles. Y'all seen all the bottle flipping going on? 
Yeah, thank you too for that. You seen all the kids out on the basketball hoops trying to make all these trick shots, trying to bounce them off the house, bounce it off the roof, back into the goal? Yeah, thank you too for that. But I asked him, I said, where did y'all know about this? Well, we learned it from Colin Amazing. But see, everything that we do in our life is just like them. We follow what we seek. And sometimes when what we're following gets attacked, sometimes we can get pretty aggressive. Sometimes we can get pretty offended. Because even though we desire to be unique, even though we desire to be different, all of us, every single one of us, are following something. Maybe it's the life of RVing. Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's pro football. Maybe it's bedazzling things. Maybe, <laughs> she gets mad at me for calling it that. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's your idols. But I gotta ask you a question. In our urge to be unique, to be one of a kind, have we ever considered following the one who made us one of a kind? We all want to be different. We all want to be someone special. And in this process of sanctification is when we come to know just how truly special we are. Jesus made every single one of us unique. He says that he crafted us in our mother's wombs. He says that we are his masterpiece. And you know what's funny? is John had really grabbed a hold of this. I love the illustration that's given there in the names that he was in Anon, which means spring, and Salem, Salem, as, Salim, which means peaceful. John was in a peaceful spring, okay? He was content with his life where he was at. He was content doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he even says that he found his joy in that. And yet all these people were coming to him. Why are these people going over there? And John uses this as a moment, as a moment to really lead these people to why John has come. You see, true sanctification or discipleship always leads people to Jesus. True sanctification or discipleship always leads people to Jesus. So as a church, sometimes we got to ask ourselves, is what we're doing really leading people to Jesus? And I know some people will say, well, Scotty, you're the pastor. It's your job. No, I said we as a church. Or what we doing as a church on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday are what we doing then leading people to Jesus because if it's not it's not discipleship and if we're not doing discipleship I've got to ask this are we even his disciple because they do go hand in hand to be a disciple 
of Jesus Christ means to follow in his footsteps. And following in those footsteps means leading other people to him. The last words that, Jesus, that John say, first this Sunday, he's going to say a little bit more next Sunday too. But the words that he says there at the end of this, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You know, over the last three weeks, we've been talking about this whole gap and gain theory about how we look at life and about how we look at life from the beginning of our life to the end of our life. And we are constantly gauging our success on where we are at. But we talked about how when we come to know Christ, it is actually the first step in our walk with him. And that comes by regeneration. Regeneration is one of those things that is done for us. Christ does a new work in us and I'm thankful for what Paul said that Christ will complete the good work that he started in us because you know what? If he left it up to me completed it, to complete, it would be like the other nine projects at my home that are 90% done. Amen. But not only did he regenerate us and give us a new life and I'm sorry for this next slide, you really can't see it because it looked better on the screen, not up here. The next one is justification. And I talked about last week how justification, to simplify this, is that Jesus makes us just as if we have never sinned. What a great thing that is. We are forgiven. And you know what? The first two parts of our life with Christ, how much of those two did we have to do with? Goose egg. Zero. You've got to be thankful for a creator who loves you so much that he's willing to do many of the steps for you to help you in your walk to know him. That's awesome. But the next thing that he does, and there is a passive part of this and there's an active part of this, is our sanctification. Our sanctification is something that is going to take a very long time. None of us are going to figure it out overnight. None of us wake up one morning and become a super Christian. None of us wake up one morning and become like one of our Bible heroes. But one thing that we have to look at by just looking at these three things right here, because right now we're in the process of sanctification is you have got to understand how far you are ahead in this game. You have a new life. Your sins are forgiven. And now you have the freedom to allow Christ to live in you. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is talking to the disciples before he's about to go on. And he says these words to him. And this is actually a segue in the next week. Sorry, you got to come back for next week. But he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him. He will bear much 
fruit. Okay, understand something. He says that if you truly abide in him, he will abide in you. And what is going to happen because of that? You will bear fruit. This is part of the sanctification. And next week we're going to talk a lot, a lot about what those fruits are. But he also says this, but apart from me, remember this, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, sanctification is part on us because it is us continually dying to ourselves. But we've got to realize this. Even in this process of sanctification, we still need him. We still have to be attached to that vine. We still have to be attached to him to grow and to flourish in our lives. And if we think that we can do a Christian life two days a week, one day a week, we're sadly mistaken. Because you see, the Christian life, the true Christ-like life is you allowing Christ to live through you every day. So what's stopping us? What's stopping us from looking more like Jesus? What in us has to decrease so that Jesus can truly increase? And see, again, this is one of those things that can have multiple answers. For some of us, it can be an attitude. That's a big one of mine. That is a huge one of mine. Because if certain situations come about, I'll just tell you, like I told some people at the ball field the other day, there are certain situations that come about in my life that it just seems like every bit of Jesus leaves me. You know what I mean? I'm in the car rider pickup line the other day. All of you are laughing because you already know how horrible this is. Okay. If you are picking up your child in car rider pickup line, keep your eye on the car in front of you. If it moves forward, you move forward. Because Friday, me and another pastor were stuck behind a woman insisting on making a TikTok video while she is in line. Every bit of Jesus just went. <laughs> I mean, it's like I opened the door, opened, rolled down the windows, and just every bit of the Holy Spirit left out. Every bit of me wanted to honk on that horn because it didn't happen just once. It didn't happen twice. It happened three times. <sighs> Tommy, they'll be on your bus in the morning. Um, but see, even in that moment, could I have made a fool of myself? <laughs> Jennifer's surprised I didn't. <laughs> yes. But sometimes, even in me, my attitude is what is not allowing Jesus to come out. Sometimes it can be our sins. And I'm not talking about the ones, the little white lies. I'm talking about those sins that we have 
head deep in our lives. Those addictions, maybe dealing with pornography, maybe bitterness. Regardless, these sins grow a root of bitterness deep down in our lives. And you know what? When we've got that root of bitterness, it's hard for us to show Jesus to the world. Maybe it's problems at home. Maybe you have problems at home right now that are making it hard for you to show Jesus in your life. Talked with a young lady this week, and it's true. You know the hardest part people to show Jesus to is your own family. It really is. Because you know all their flaws, they know all your flaws, and all you do is... Regardless of the situation, sanctification is being set apart for the purpose of Christ. What is keeping you from allowing Jesus to live through you right now? Father, heard a gentleman once, a long time ago, God, tell me that the first step to admitting a problem in your life is admitting that there is a problem. And sometimes, Lord, this is the hardest step for us. Because none of us, Lord, want to admit that we're wrong. That's why a lot of us keep a lot of things hidden in the darkness. And just like Jesus said to his disciples, those who are in the darkness didn't light the light because they were afraid that the light would expose all the things that they were hiding in darkness. But Father, we know that all of these things hinder us from living a truly sanctified, set-apart life which allows you to live through us. Father, this morning, I pray that you search all of our hearts. Because, Father, my desire for this congregation is to show this community Jesus. But I know with all these things hiding in our lives, we're not going to be able to shine him to his full glory and honor. So this morning, this week, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to truly lay these things down. Father, you've told us whatever we confess to you, you are faithful and just to forgive. You've told us that when we need something, we need to ask. Well, this morning, Lord, we're asking you to help us show the glory that Jesus Christ has fully shown us. Help us, Lord, to be your ambassador in this community, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. 
in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Tommy and them come up, and as we all stand, I want to leave you with those two questions. And I'll read them verbatim, just so I don't get them wrong. What is stopping us, us, from looking more like Jesus? And what in us must decrease so that he can increase? This morning, ask God to search your heart. Ask God to lead you to these things that need to be taken out of your life. And ask him to help you allow Christ to show in you. Whether you do it at the altar, whether you do it right where you are, You deal with God as he deals with you.